The Girl Camper Podcast is sponsored by Liberty Outdoors, innovative makers of high-quality, lightweight, towable trailers for every stage of the RVer's life. And Campco Manufacturing. For over 50 years, this company has been making products for outdoor enthusiasts. Whether you are RVing, boating, camping, towing, tailgating, or grilling, Camco Manufacturers has products to help you enjoy your time off. We are also sponsored by our consortium of girl camper-friendly RV dealerships. Bankston Motorhomes with five locations in Alabama and Tennessee, Setzer's World of Camping in Huntington, West Virginia, and Tom's Camperland with three locations in Phoenix, Arizona. Service, integrity, and committed staffers are some of the hallmarks of these reputable dealerships. To visit any of our sponsors, go to girlcamper.com and follow the links on our homepage. Hello, my name is Janine Pettit and I'm a girl camper. I go places and I do things in my Liberty Outdoors lightweight towable trailers. Along the way, I meet many interesting people traveling the back roads, and I want to share their stories with you. We will talk about the qualities of what makes a girl camper and how you can be a girl camper, too. The girl campers are having a party, and you're invited. Stay tuned while I share what's happening on the back roads of America the Beautiful. Welcome. I'm Janine Pettit, girl camping ambassador blogger, adventurist, and podcaster. And this is episode 143 of Girl Camper, the podcast. My guest today is Vicki Hill. She's a girl camper who hails from Kansas, and she's just returned from an epic solo woman road trip. She's been traveling for 11 years in her 2001 Toyota 4Runner SUV. This sought-after four-wheel drive vehicle is her ride, gear hauler, and camper. Although she takes a tent for emergencies, she sleeps in her car on BLM land and free boondocking sites. On her last 76-day trip from Kansas to the eastern side of Highway 395 in Northern California, she spent just $48 on campsites. She travels by herself with a general destination in mind, but no reservations, itinerary, or schedule. Her goal is to see and hike the well-known and not-so-well-known trails. She chronicles her travels on her website, tripscribbles.com, and she's here today to share what motivated her to travel in this manner, what rules she has for herself, what her husband and kids think of all of this, and what she fears when she's on the road. Her answers may surprise you. Stay tuned. Before we head into our news roundup, I have a message from Campco. What does Campco make? They make things. Things for camping. Things for grilling. Things for tailgating. Things for towing, cleaning, and maintaining your RV or boat. Campco manufactures over 4,000 products that make your downtime even more fun. 
Chances are you already own Camco products. They are sold at many fine retailers, including Walmart and Amazon, as well as the Teardrop Shop. Click on your favorite shopping site and check out Camco's new line of Life is Better at the Campsite products. Camco, making things that make camping even better. Well, I only have one bit of news to round up today, and that's good because I am so excited to be chatting with my friend Vicki that I want to give her all the time in the world because she's so compelling and her story is so great. I just want to remind everybody that the Country Living Fair in um, Atlanta, Georgia, really south of Atlanta, at Stone Mountain Park, south of Atlanta, Georgia, is taking place October 26th through October 28th. We've got an Instagram um, giveaway going on right now, so you've got to go over to my Instagram account, which is girlcamper528. We have four early bird passes, so these passes are good for all three days. When you use the early bird pass, which is only available on Friday and Saturday, I believe the park opens at 10 o'clock, but with an early bird pass, you can get in there at 8 o'clock. So you can get at all your favorite booths without being crowded because there are literally thousands of people waiting to enter when it first opens. There are 250 vendors, very curated fare, so much good stuff all the time. And I think this is their ninth year down at Stone Mountain. And so this has become a go-to event for many people in the fall. And it can be crushingly crowded when it first opens. So with the early bird pass, you not only get in two hours before everybody else, But with the early bird pass, most of the vendors will give you a 20% discount. So this is taking place October 26th through 28th. I'm going to be down there. I'm going to have my Mini Max trailer. My friend Jill Evans is coming with her gorgeous 1968 Overlander, which she has decked out in the most beautiful way. She had it in Waxahachie, and she had it in Ohio last year with me, and Jill and I are going camping on our way home in the Smoky Mountains. So good excuse to spend time with a great friend. So Stone Mountain, Country Living Fair, ticket giveaway, going on Instagram, Girl Camper 528. Just follow the rules. Tag the right people. Someone's going to win these tickets, and I hope you'll stop by and say hello to us. We're going to have a big surprise down there, something different that we haven't done yet at the Country Living Fair, Some something that I think you're going to like. If you don't go, you'll have to wait and see the pictures on Instagram and Facebook. So that's going on. Hope to see you there. We're going to be back in a minute, and we're going to be talking with Vicki. Before we chat with Vicki, I have a message from our friends at Setzer's World of Camping in Huntington, West Virginia. They're the first-time buyer's dealership. The experienced staff at Setzer's will help find the right model for you. It doesn't matter what you're looking for. Lightweight towable, a travel trailer, a fifth wheel, a pop-up, or a big motorhome, Setzer's has about 150 new and used trailers on site to choose from. Their staff will help you assess your needs and your tow vehicle, and they'll find the perfect match for you. They will not let you go camping until their team has walked you through every aspect of your trailer and given you their camping starter kit. 
Their reputation for selection, quality service, and competitive pricing makes them the go-to dealer, not only for West Virginia, but for residents in Ohio, Kentucky, and Tennessee as well. To take a look at their selection online, go over to girlcamper.com and click on the link or just go to setzersrv.com and shop online. Thank you so much, Lynn Butler, for always supporting the Girl Campers. We'll be right back and talk to Vicki. Welcome back, everyone. I am here today with Vicki Hill. I met Vicki for the first time last April when she attended our wonderful Women of Waxahachie event in Texas. She was all set up in her 2001 Toyota 4Runner, which is all she takes when she goes camping. It has this sweet bed set up in it. All of her gear has been honed to perfection in terms of what is necessary and that it has a place for storage in her 4Runner. That being said, it was still a girl camper setup with pretty blankets and a floral camp chair. Vicky's goal is the outdoors, and she doesn't want to be slowed down by stuff. She's here today to share her experiences, hiking tips, and philosophy on travel. I am so happy to welcome her to the show. So welcome, Vicky. Thank you so much, Janine, and I I love your podcast and have learned a lot from it, even though I am not uh, don't have a trailer and I don't have to tow. Um, I love the inclusivity of it all, and uh, that's just great. Oh, well, you know, in, it's I, I don't want this to be a catchphrase. I often say on the show and in social media, there is no wrong way to camp like a girl. So when I met you in Texas and I saw what you were doing and I learned your story, I just wanted everybody to know this because I think it's so important that every woman out there who's listening know that there's a place at the table. So I love what you're doing and I can't wait to hear all about it. And I want to start, you know, kind of at the beginning. When did you begin camping? Um, I didn't grow up camping. I started with my boys. They were Boy boy Scouts, and uh, they needed parents to go along. My husband and I hadn't really done anything like that, but uh, went along on every summer after summer, fell in love with backpacking right away. First time I was in Colorado, fell in love with the mountains. So all that kind of came to be, and um, we did a lot with the boys. And then as they got older, we started backpacking and hiking together during our summer vacations and realized it was really fun to go when you weren't responsible for 10, 12-year-olds or 13-year-old boys. Um, But as uh, my solo travels came about, because the actual first time I went solo, it was simply because nobody would go with me. I didn't have friends that did it. My husband works uh, a lot and didn't have the time to go. And I just thought I'd rather go and go by myself than not go at all. So that very first trip, I just fell in love with the solo travel. And I still love traveling with him. And I have a girlfriend that I travel with sometimes. Um, But I wouldn't give up my solo traveling forever. And I've been doing it now for around 15 years, I believe. I want to know, on that very first trip, were you in your um, car by yourself, or were you tent camping then? 
I was tent camping then. I probably tent camp for the first, you know, for probably the first seven years or so. Um, and didn't even think about staying in my car. Uh, we had come from hiking and backpacking, you know, doing that a lot together. And so I just went, when I went by myself, I just put up the tent um, but I've always dispersed camp or free camped on BLM and in national forest um, land. And um, so, but moving into my car, I'm not really sure what clicked and made that happen. Um, I, it probably just was in my car one night when it was storming or something and decided, wow, this is pretty cool. And I do love it. Um, yeah, there is a safety factor where you're locked in your car. But um, I love the fact that I can look out my windows. My forerunner has big windows, um, and I don't have coverings on them. And so I can look out at night, and uh, if it's storming, I can really enjoy the storms. I didn't really enjoy them in my tent because it always sounds like a hurricane when there's just a light breeze blowing when you're in your tent. Um, so I can enjoy the storms. I don't have to pack up wet gear. I can change my mind a lot if I'm staying in one place and, you know, drive drive some miles and decide to change, I can do that without having gear. So quickly fell in love with uh, camp, uh, my car camping and then just have fine-tuned the way I pack it over the years. Let's talk about the way you pack it because when I met you in Texas, boy, you have got this thing figured out. So I want to explain to everybody if I can the the back of your forerunner it has a hatchback that opens in the back and mm-hmm. is it what I can't remember if the the whole width of that was your bed or if it was like three quarters um the wheel wheels in this particular model of forerunner are smaller than they are in the new ones so it's mostly the width of that and I build up my bed enough that it's over the top of the wheel wheel weld and so my, I have pretty much, I take my back seats out, which gives me some more space, and pretty much half of the back is my bed. And it was great, your term, you called it the princess in the pea bed. Um, I literally build it up, not with wood as some people do, but just with stuff I've had at home. So I have air mattresses from, their backpacking mattresses, so they're not super thick. Um, I have a down comforter that I fold in half. I just pile and pile stuff yeah. up on there. And then my sleeping bag. And then I made a sweet little quilt uh, just for camping that goes on there. And then I have a rumple quilt if it's really cold. And if it's really cold, I, I think I've slept in my car. The coldest I've slept in is 20 degrees. And I just go down further and further underneath all the stuff <laughs> when yeah. it's cold. Um, but stay really warm in there. I mean, sometimes my face will get cold, um, but I can just crawl down underneath the stuff, and I'm good with that. So that's half of the back of my forerunner. Um, and then I have a cooler in the on the other side. I have a cooler and a gear box and a food box, or a, a cooler, a gear bag, which has my clothes and all that kind of stuff in it. And then I have a food box. Um, and that kind of takes up the other side. And then right behind the front seats, I carry all my water, my um, gallons of water jugs on one side. And on the other side, I have some tools, um, car tools, in case, um, you know, I, I get into trouble or need those. Mm-hmm. And then in my front seat, which I try to keep the actual, you know, butt part of the seat, I try to keep clear with just my 
my purse and my backpack. And then in the floor, I carry a bag of maps and guidebooks, and I have uh, my electronics, my computer. And there's always a gazillion cords coming out because I'm always trying to charge stuff. And in my older <laughs> Forerunner, I don't have any USB ports and stuff like that. And that's mm-hmm. a challenge of never hooking up or never plugging in anywhere is to keep the stuff, you know, charged and plugged in. But my system works pretty good for me. So yeah. Do do you have any kind of solar panels that you use at all? I don't, I don't. And, um, you know, I've thought about that, but I, everything, everything I think about that I sometimes think would make it easier. There's always a, a thing that would make it more complicated as well. And to put out the money, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a really tight, traveler and uh that's why i mean i love dispersed camping i love the the locations are usually really beautiful and there's much more space than there is a campground but you know bottom line too is it's free and so the more things that i could do for my car like you know get a small refrigerator then you have to get a battery and then, you know i always look at the bottom line as oh, for that $400, uh, what kind of trip could I take for that? Or that $1,000, what could I take, you know, on a trip for that? So um, I don't have solar panels, and right now I'm not looking to get any either. Yeah, and it sounds to me like you really have this philosophy about keeping it as simple as possible. Every time you add something like this, it adds another task to your day when you're um, camping. Oh, that's so true. And it's it's... It's that, and it's also not only what you have to buy and what you have to care for and then, you know, figure out if there's problems with that, but even putting something else in my car, you know, adding one little thing, I think, okay, do I really, really need that, and where is that going to fit, and what can I, you know, move out, and so everything really does have a purpose and uh I'm very careful about what I put in there because I like space when I'm in the back. I do not want, and in my front seat, even driving, I spend, you know, a ton of time driving and I don't like to feel like I'm being crowded and I like open space and I don't like my windows covered with stuff. And, uh, sometimes I carry my bike with me and sometimes I don't. And, uh, when I don't, a little bit, I miss it, but I like just having those windows open and clear on that side. So yeah, I'm really particular about what goes in to the vehicle when I'm camping. Oh, now I saw that with you. You had this thing, like this was an experienced camper. When I was standing at the back of your rig there, you had this thing figured out. I want to talk about your car because your car is everything to you. Like this car is made for what you're doing. So let's give Toyota a shout out here because I was pretty impressed by this car. Yeah. Well, stop me if I go on too long about this because I am a huge Toyota fan. And this particular one is a third generation 2001 Toyota 4Runner. Um, so it's narrower and has more cargo space than the newer ones that are much bigger. And uh, because I drive on the back roads and I want four-wheel drive, this particular one I bought with a lift on it, and so it'll get me over a few taller rocks. Um, But I really, really love it. And um, the thing with the older Toyotas is, you know, I mean, these things run. I have one uh, 2002 Toyota 4Runner that's my daily car. It has 300 and 
17, 18,000 miles on it. My husband has a Toyota truck and it has 365,000 oh miles gosh. on it. And we've had multiple Toyotas with this. And so they're easier to fix. They're cheaper to fix when they're not full of electronic um, things as the new ones. I'm envious of the USB ports and the backup cameras that the new ones have, but not enough to change. I mean, if I think if I had all the money in the world, I still wouldn't buy a new one. I, I really do love it. And yeah, it is, I'm really, uh, I'm really particular about, about the forerunner and, and keeping it as, as, you know, maintained and in very good shape because I always am out by myself and because I'm always on the back roads. And I'm a little, I can be a little chicken on some back roads or in sand or over rocks or driving through rivers. My forerunner can do it, but my bravery isn't always up to the task or my skill level. So, um, and I don't want anything to happen to it, you know, because it is, it is my little camper. So, um, but I do love it. And there's a whole fan club of third generation forerunners, uh, forerunner fans out there. So yeah, so you like like people who buy a trailer. You know, you come with a little club that comes along with Toyota forerunner owners. Yes, and they're a great resource if you've got something that's wrong or something you're looking for, which doesn't happen very often. But they're a great resource. So. Well, I want to go back to something you said a minute ago. You really do travel the back roads, sometimes dirt roads, really off the beaten path, and you're by yourself. And sometimes you are in places where there's no cell service at all. Does this concern you or your husband? And do you have some kind of like set of rules to go by when you're out there? Choosing, do I want to take this route? Right. I have, I have started buying state atlases, which not only they, they give you BLM and public land. So that's helpful with camping, but it also, you know, is a lot more detailed on the kind of road you're going on. That's but a good mountain, tip. Mountain back roads, um, well, all back roads, they just change from year to year, you know, depending on the weather. So you can drive one and then have it be totally different or just even day to day, if you have a huge rain, it can wash out part of a road. And yeah, if I was wanted to be brave, more brave about one thing when I travel, it would be driving on these back roads. I just don't have as much experience as I would like. I mean, I just got on in the car and drove on the back road. <laughs> Nobody's told me how to go over certain obstacles or through certain obstacles or things like that. And so I just get more comfortable driving in the mountains in the summer, which is mainly when I do my mountain travel. And then, you know, I'm back home in flatland Kansas with no practice with that. Um, so yeah, I, I do go on the back roads because that's where a lot of trailheads are. That's where a lot of camping is. And, um, I'm without cell service you know, quite a bit. I have a GPS locator, which my particular one is an, is an old model of a spot. So S P O T is the brand name. It's not a two way locator. So I cannot text back to anybody like the newer ones are, but, um, whenever I get, find myself without cell service, um, I send, there's a button on there that you can press and it has a preloaded message. And my particular one says, I'm fine. I just don't have cell service. And when I hit that button, that message goes to my husband along with my GPS coordinates. So say if I go camping or hiking down a road, um, and I'm down there and he knows, you know, it's six o'clock at night or eight o'clock at night or whatever. And he gets that message. 
um, he knows I'm going to camp there. And then the next morning when I wake up, I send him the same message. So he has those same coordinates and he knows, okay, you know, she made it through the night just fine. And, um, so that's one of our rules, um, that we, you know, I want him to have the highest level of comfort when I'm out traveling by myself. And really it's much harder on the person staying home than it is the person being out there playing. Um, and then I never go off trail. So if I tell him I'm hiking a certain trail, I always stay on that trail. Now, sometimes the pull is hard to, you know, veer off or, or take a fork, but I always stay on that trail. Um, and I carry that GPS with me when I hike. Um, yeah, that's a good rule while, for anybody. Pardon me? That's a good rule for any hiker. Yeah, it, you know, I think if you're in, in a group and you're pretty savvy with an area and good with your directions, you know, you can go off trail a little bit. Him and I have done that, but I never do that by myself. Um, I'm, I, I have gotten lost a few times just being on the trail, so yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to go off trail by myself. Now, Vicki, tell me, what does a typical day look like for you um, on one of your trips? You, the, the trip you took this summer was 76 days. Was that your longest? That was my longest. Not by very long, but maybe by, you know, a few days longer. That was my longest. So what does a typical um, day look like? Well, um, wake up pretty early in the morning. Generally, I'm awake when I'm in the mountains. I don't usually set an alarm or anything, but I generally wake up in camp around 6 or 6.30 or so, uh, roll out the door of my bed, and uh, go to the bathroom, And which is, uh, if it's daylight, it's usually a little hike back behind a bush or something like that, and um, I'll make coffee. Um, I have a little tiny backpacking stove, and I'm a coffee drinker, so I will make my coffee in the morning. Generally, I'm hiking, so I won't take much time in camp and, um, you know, sit, hit, hit that button or give my husband a quick call, and then I will drive to a trailhead and go to the trailhead and hike, get on the trail early. Um, I'm not a very big breakfast eater, but I usually will have a couple spoonfuls of peanut butter down, uh, something like that in the morning um, before I get on the trail. And then I, I go hiking and sometimes it's only four miles and sometimes it's 12 miles. Um, and you know, it takes a while to drive to these trailheads generally. And so I'm usually off the trail by two or three if it's earlier in the season. Sometimes when the monsoons come in the mountains, you have to be at least off the high parts you know, by 1230 or one when the storms roll in. But I try to get, spend, you know, most of the day hiking. And if they're short hikes, sometimes I can do one or two. And then um, if I'm by a town, sometimes I'll go out to eat. Um, I really, i not a good camp cooker. I don't like to cook at home and I like it even less in camp. <laughs> and um, so I like to go and it's social for me. I like social eating and I uh, am a beer geek. So if there's a brewery around or a, a good little place to eat, um, I'll go in there about three o'clock, um, or, you know, not, not at, I mean, way after lunch and before dinner, uh, so I can be leisurely about it. And I've met some great people, um, both that own places and that, you know, are customers there eating. And a lot of times I'll sit at the bar if, if it's a um, place like that. And um, enjoy that part. And then I go back either out to the same camp or I go looking for camp. And that's probably the one 
thing that is most difficult about uh, dispersed camping is you, you never always know where you're going to camp. And sometimes you get caught uh, out later than you want to be um, without a place. Once in a while, you end up in a random parking lot, which, you know, isn't always fun, but it gets the job done. And sometimes, you know, you're going down roads in the dark. Um, that's, that's probably the worst part about it is you don't always know where you're going. So I like to, you know, look for camp or go back. If I have a campsite, go back to camp and enjoy my evening there. Sometimes I build a fire, you know, but a lot of times there's burn bands on and you can't do that. And, um, so I really enjoy spending evening in camp and have a, have a beer or have a glass of port. And, uh, I'm a big reader. So that's kind of how I, how I spend my evenings back in camp and then repeat the thing all of it the next day. Now on these BLM lands and the national forest, when you're camping, are you by yourself or are there other people there? Um, well, I mean, it can be either way. Uh, I've done it both probably, probably more than not. There's people there. And really I have met some amazing, awesome true friends um, that have become to be friends in, in camp, in camping in these dispersed areas. And, um, but you have a lot bigger space, you know, there's rules about where you can disperse camp and where you can't. And usually, um, it's off a forest road. I mean, in the national forest, you have to be in the national forest. So you go off a forest road and you see an open area and usually there's a primitive, fire ring built there and that will tell you that that is a place that you can camp i mean they're generally not marked with numbers or anything like that uh, but you have a lot more space than you would in a traditional campground and um but sometimes there's people you know next to you um in in their own space with their own fire ring and sometimes you're the only one out there but it, it's great either way, I mean. Now, when when you are out there by yourself, because you have been doing this close to 15 years by yourself, there must have been, on occasions, moments where you just felt like something isn't right here. So how do you handle that? Yeah, I call those my Plan B moments. I have a, I have a lot of Plan B moments, but they don't aren't all instigated from from fear. I mean, um, sometimes it's just, you know, changing your route and going to seeing someplace else somebody's told you about, but on the times that, um, I have had really the hair stand up on the back of my neck or, um, knowing that once I got, um, tucked in for the night, I would not sleep because something was making me extra fearful. Then I just leave and move and go somewhere else. Um, because, it's the same, even, uh, there's been a couple of hikes over the years that I've started down the trail and I'm just like, this does not feel right. And it's not just a, I haven't done this before. I haven't been this before. It's not just like you need to push out of your comfort zone. It's like, there is something that does not feel right about this. And I, I don't have to explain it to anybody else. Right. <laughs> That's the one thing about traveling by yourself. You know, you have arguments with yourself, but yeah. you don't have to have them with anybody else. <laughs> and, um, so you just say, you know, I'm going to turn around and I'm going to make plan B. And when I park, I try to park in a way that um, um, I can pull out if I need to, um, that I really maybe can't be blocked in. 
Um, but I'm also a moon watcher at night and a stargazer, so I like to be facing the moon too. So there's always the safety factor versus what I really want to see in the sky. But I, I don't get afraid too often at all out there. But I do think it's important to listen to your gut and listen to your intuition. And do you feel, yeah, there's been more times it hasn't been feeling like life-threatening to me but um, I just knew I wouldn't be comfortable and I wouldn't enjoy my time. And the whole purpose is to, you know, have fun and enjoy yourself. And there's a, a ton of times you can push yourself and get out of your comfort zone and do things like that. Um, but when, when you really feel that deep gut fear, that's really not the time to do that. Yeah, I agree with you there. It is so important to just learn to trust your gut, even if there's no obvious explanation, you know, like, a, you know, a, a very dark, thundery sky in the distance or like, I don't know, it's very important to t uh, trust your own intuition. But you've mentioned fear a couple of times. And when I look at what you're doing, I see all kinds of things that I would be afraid of. But maybe that's not what your fears would be. When you are out there, what is something that would make you feel fearful? Um, well, driving on really scary back roads, that really, I, I can get really nervous about that. Um, and so I'm super careful, way more cautious than probably most people. I, I parked the vehicle and like I had a situation this summer where I thought the sand was really going to bog me in and I just put the forerunner in park and walked it, you know, and ended up turning around and going back. So those things, those things, I guess, I guess I would call fear if I get, you know, I've gone through a river before that's just made me, you know, want to throw up, but you can't stop then. You've got to keep going and everything ended up being fine. I've had a situation before where I was worried somebody, somebody was leaning on my car in the middle of the night, they'd driven up uh, at a trailhead and, you know, you have this conversation while you're feeling a little trapped in your car, but as well, kind of safe that you're in the car and maybe not in a tent right then. And, you know, having this discussion in my mind while my legs are shaking, you know, do they intend to harm me? They probably don't, you know, and going back and forth, but coming up with a plan B. And, you know, they walked away. They were just, uh, you know, in the parking lot for 20 minutes, uh, probably waiting to go up to another trailhead. Um, and I was very fortunate because I do know there's people that can do everything right and really unfortunate circumstances happen to them. And I, you know, I feel really grateful that that has not been my case or my experience, you know, over all the years. So, um, and, and, you know, I, I, when I'm on a trail really early in the morning, and it's sort of a closed-in trail more than open trail. I, I do wonder, you know, have all the animals woken up and <laughs> gotten out of bed and gotten their breakfast already? Yeah. Um, so, you know, sometimes I have that, you know, you're, where your heart just kind of beats fast. Yeah. Uh, and you just kind of wonder, and maybe you uh, start singing really loud on the trail or whatever. But that's not... Uh, like I'm fearing for my life, like I'm terror terrified because I don't, I generally don't stop and turn around. And when I'm terrified for my life, I, I just leave. I turn, you know, I turn around. Yeah. And like I said, that has not happened. I do often. want to know about that on the wildlife in 15 years. I mean, you must have seen some beautiful things. So do you carry bear spray when you're walking and what, what kind of wildlife have you seen? What has been your closest encounter? 
I really have never had any close encounters. Um, you know, it's surprising. There are a lot of people on trails. And, you know, there have been times when I've been six miles out on a trail by myself. And, and you do get this sort of weird, empty feeling inside that's like, whoa, I feel really far away from people, you know. But at that point, then it becomes the conversation you have with yourself that I just have to stop talking to myself and pay attention and look around at the beauty. And if I want to talk to myself, tell myself how fortunate I am to be able to be out there. My body works. I have the time to do it. And I'm out there and quit playing the what if game. Um, I've seen, I've seen bears, um, and, but they've never been very close. You know, the closest bear was in a, free national forest campground and he was up a tree trying to get somebody's cooler he could have cared less about the people that were in the campground and really I've seen more bears in campgrounds than I have on the trail um, the only time I've hiked with bear spray is when I was in Glacier where there are grizzlies and you know we were uh, my husband was with me I was not solo hiking then and uh, we were cautious um you know, and we did see grizzly, but we were way high up on a ridge. It was a perfect place to see them. They were way down below us. And um, so I've really never, you know, never had a mountain lion encounter, which, you know, frankly, mostly the places I hike, they there are not grizzly bears. There's black bear. Um, and, you know, I would hate to run into a mountain lion because um, they, they pretty much stalk you and you pretty much don't know they're there until they have you. And so I don't, they're, they're probably my most feared, but it's so rare. And, and the, the, the critter that's moved up highest on my list this year is the tick because, uh, there are such life-changing diseases you get from them and you can't, um, really see them. And frankly, we have more in Kansas than they do where I'm hiking. So Mm -hmm. I'm more cautious about, my little mountain bike trail here in Flatland, Kansas with ticks than I am, you know, out in the mountains in Colorado and Utah and things like that. Yeah. So I've been fortunate. I haven't had wildlife, um, encounters of the dangerous sort. (laughs) Right, right, right. Do you have a favorite place, Vicki, a place you return to? I do. Um, Crested Butte, Colorado. Um, I absolutely love it. I've been going there for, I think, maybe a dozen years. And um, first time I, I'd been hiking the mountains on the Aspen side. um, And, but just, you know, love the mountains, but the town didn't really fit me. I'm just a, you know, normal person. (laughs) And, uh, I don't, not affluent or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, somebody told me about this little town in Crested Butte. And I remember the thing that they told me was they had some friends that went there, visited, came home, quit their jobs and moved there. And I'm always interested when somebody tells me about a town like that. And Danny and I had done a backpack trip right outside of Crested Butte, walk into the town. And I immediately said to him, this is home. I, uh, I feel it right now. And his comment was, no, it's not. <laughs> we cannot afford to live here and my job is back there. But, um, I immediately loved it and it has so much hiking. I mean, I was out there for five weeks this summer and, um, the only hikes I repeated, I, I repeated maybe 
four hikes because Danny had come out and spent the last week with me. Um, and I had a friend, Jill, that came out and spent uh, some days with me. But there's just so much hiking and so much free camping. And I've made friends, good friends, over all these years. And the town is... Um, just a wonderful, fun, eclectic, funky, quirky town. I mean, there's probably more tutus that live in Crested Butte uh, <laughs> than any other town. I mean, they're just always having fun, and the people are so down to earth. And I tell you, it just is wonderful. I, I came into town this year and uh, went to my favorite little outdoor bar, and right away the bartender says, Welcome back, Vicki. And then a good friend of mine was sitting right across and said, oh, you're back. That's so awesome. And I, my heart just burst with joy with all that. Yeah. You know what? Situate us for Crested Butte because that is a town I am always hearing about. So everybody knows where Denver is. Tell us where Crested Butte is in relation to Denver. It's a little over four hours um, southwest of Denver. So okay. if you went straight south of Denver um, and over towards like Pueblo or down towards like Pueblo and then straight west. Um, it's to Gunnison and then it's just north of Gunnison. There's only two ways in to Crested Butte and one is closed in the winter. So um, uh -huh. there's only one way in. But yeah, it's in southwestern Colorado. Oh, I am going to have to put that on my list because you know when you hear something three or four times, you've just got to put it on the list, you know? Oh, and yeah. Just recent, uh, several days ago, someone was talking to me about Crested Butte. I want to ask you what I think the listeners would want to know. And I, and I want to know. Inquiring minds want to know. Like, <laughs> for what you're doing, there has to be practical things. So you've already talked about what you eat. You, you don't love cooking, so you don't come back to your campsite and really cook. Right. I, I, this, this summer on this trip, I actually did cook more and had more camp food than I ever have before, just because, um, where I was at in California, I wasn't finding places to eat that really drew me. I don't eat, I don't like fast food. And, um, so I have to have a place that kind of draws me and I don't eat like really fancy, expensive food either. So this year I ate a lot of, um, salad, you know, salad out of a bag and, um, and, and did, did a little bit of camp cooking eggs and stuff like that. But I also have a cooler. So I also ate a really bad egg this year, which ugh, that was really gross. Oh boy. So yeah, let's talk that about really that practical side. So you don't have like a plug-in refrigerator running off your car. So are you in this position every single day of having to find ice? I do. I do. Uh, there's once in a while, you know, if you're in a cold space, the ice won't melt. But, um, yeah, that that's one of my uh, icky parts of the way I travel is I'm buying ice every day. But I just am not into buying a $400 cooler, and I don't, don't want to do the refrigerator thing. And so I just buy ice. I drink cream in my coffee and I like have a cold beer. And, and now I am, I, I'm, I'm going to try to, you know, cook a little more or eat a little more out of my camp, um, than eat out just because now as I'm getting older, I'm finding that, um, when I go out and I have a, you know, big, nice burger and fries or mm -hmm. whatever, it's too much food for me, and um, I don't like leftovers, and especially when you have a cooler that melts, I don't like leftovers floating in water. So 
um, I'm going to try to cook a little bit more. So this year I've kind of revised my camp kitchen, I guess, which is just my box with stuff in it. And I'm going to try to come up with some more ways to, um, to cook, but yeah, it's not my favorite thing at all to, to do that. Okay. And another question, what about showering? So you're, these national parks and BLM lands don't have, uh, you know, um, showers or um, vault toilets on them. How do you handle the whole potty and showering situation? Well, the potty situation is, you know, you find a bush or something to go by at night. I have a little bucket uh, that is a little collapsible bucket that is by my vehicle so I can just get out and go in that and then in the morning I walk over to the bushes or where you know where it's appropriate um anything else I have a little shovel and I leave uh I pack out all my toilet paper and everything whether I'm on the trail or whether I'm in camp um showering I I can go a long time without showering (laughs) but um when I do need to shower uh, there's a lot of recreation centers that will sell you a shower pass or a day pass. You know, the going price is generally four to six bucks. And um, and if it's a day pass, you know, you can swim in their swimming pool and stuff like that. But um, I find I don't like spending a lot of time. You'd think if you hadn't showered for five or ten days or whatever, you would want to take these long, hot showers. And I find I just don't – I go in and I get clean and I do what I need to do. And uh, – and then I leave. I don't, I just don't want to spend my time that way. It's kind of funny. And I have really short hair and I have found I can keep really pretty clean with, um, water in an algae bottle and, uh, some soap and, uh, you know, or just the water. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I hike and through going through rivers and streams and stuff yeah. like that. So, um, I get the top layer of dirt off and the other <laughs> doesn't really bother me. You know, everybody asks this question and I've never used one of these and I'm going to explain to the listeners what it is because some people might, might not know what a go girl is. So I want to ask you about the go girl. So a go girl is a little uh, plastic, flexible plastic um funnel really that women can use when they're hiking and you can pull down your pants and attach it to your privates and it shoots the pee out in a direction away from you which solves the problem of squatting and trying to pee for women and getting the back of their pants all full of pee and their shoes and boots all wet do you have a go girl and do you use it I have something like that that sits right by it and on the floor of my uh, forerunner, right by my bed. And uh, I have a Nalgene bottle that, you know, I would put the other end of it in in case I ever got into a situation in my car where I had to go. Um, but I have pretty much made sure I've never gotten myself into one of those yeah. situations because I had to practice with it at home. And frankly, it made more of a mess at home than it would have if I just would have peed in a bucket or got behind a right. bush. So I, um, yeah, I, I have it, but I never have used it out there. And, you know, I, you know, you're on the road 76 days or whatever. I can pee pretty fast in the woods. It doesn't really bother me. You know, you just Mm -hmm. don't want to get into poison ivy or anything like that, but it doesn't bother me at all. And this year, you know, a lot of people might think this is pretty gross, but this year, the new thing I added was I had never heard of a pee rag before. And you take an old, um, 
bandana or mm-hmm. something like that and tie it on the back of your pack, you know, and you get done and you drip off or let the wind blow a little bit and, yeah. uh, clean, you know, use that pee rag and tie it on the back of your pack. And, you know, at some point when you've got some extra water or whatever, you wash it out. But, um, so then you don't even have the hassle of paper, of toilet paper. Mm-hmm. And, um, I thought that was just fine. So I think maybe I have low standards for things like that, <laughs> but I do what works for me and what's yeah. simple and what's good for the environment. You know, I'm very picky about leave no trace. I mean, I think that's something we all should adopt the leave no trace principles. Mm-hmm. I, I want to ask you this because I, I have been following you and I look at you and I, I think you're my aunt Sue. You, <laughs> You are like, you're going to be Aunt Sue. You are going to be out there in your 80s, and you're still going to be doing incredible things. Yeah. Everybody wants to be Aunt Sue, right? Um, Do you have a philosophy about travel? Oh, I don't really think so. It's just go as often as I can go. You know, I've told you before, I'm not really a homebody. I don't really love uh, not really embracing uh, my state. And um, so I just want to go as often as possible. I mean, if I could talk my husband into it, and uh, I doubt that I could talk my animals into it, but I'd love to be on the road full time. So mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I love my, my purpose in travel for myself um, is to try to hike every day and to see beautiful things. And then one of the other great benefits of all that is you meet really cool, awesome people that do what you do. And a lot of them think like you do as far as, you know, you want the environment to stay great and they love to talk about hiking trails and they love to talk about, you know, photography or really cool places to go or, or, you know, boondocking sites or dispersed camping areas. And, and so I think, you know, those three things are what drives me mm-hmm. to keep traveling. So maybe that's a philosophy. You are actually the mother of three grown children. You have a daughter in Florida who is a physician and has two children. And then you have two sons who you were able to visit in California this summer. And I just wonder what your grown children think of their adventurous mom. I, I know my cousins think Aunt Sue is She's it. I mean, they they call her Mountain Mama. <laughs> and when when Aunt Sue goes to visit one of her kids, she's she's in her hiking boots with a backpack at eighty years old. She gets off the plane. <laughs> she's awesome. ready to go. And and they they adore her. And they think she's the coolest mom ever because she is. Um, what do your kids think of this? It's not conventional. I mean, hey, can you call your mom? No, I can't. She's somewhere. Who knows. <laughs> Yeah, I have. If I looked at all the texts from my daughter, a lot of them say, where are you? It's kind of funny. Um, You know, I really don't know. Um, I think uh, they might think I'm a little crazy that I sleep in my car, but um, they, you know, they're kind of used to it. I mean, they didn't grow up with this type of mom, but when they left home, which they all left, you know, pretty much as early as they could, 18, 19, um, to go on sort of their own, you know, to new places and kind of start their adult life is when I kind of started all this. Um, Mm -hmm. so I think they're just used to it. You know, um, it, it surprises me more with Danny that my husband, that he is so sort of tolerant and accepting of all this. Um, because you know, that's an issue when you're married and, Mm. um, and I'm not working, and so, uh, but and he he's still also, is. Wait, 
Pardon me? And, he, and your husband is still working. He's still working, yeah. yeah, which is why he doesn't travel with me very often. And um, But he's just, he's wonderful about it. And he says time and time again, people may think we're crazy, but, you know, it works for us. And um, I, I, I'm a good wife as far as when I leave, my freezer is so full. I'm, I'm a once-a-month cooking person because I really couldn't stand to do it more often than that. And so I do leave the freezer full. So he, uh, he has lots of food here. Um, but, you know, we have lots of great things to talk about. And I know he wishes he was out there with me. And I, I do too. You know, he's my favorite um, hiking travel buddy. And he does come out with me to Colorado once a year. And um and mm-hmm. we're hoping, you know, as as it gets closer to his retirement, um, we're, we're sort of talking and dreaming about what our next stage is together when he can come with me more. But he's even if he were retired, I don't think he would go with me, uh, want to travel as much as I do. It's such a pull with me. I just I just want to go all the time. I, I totally understand that because my husband met me in Colorado um, this summer. And I think he was out there with me for maybe 12 days. And the last three of those days, I've had to talk him off a cliff every morning, just patting his hand and say, we'll be home soon. We're almost there. (laughs) And, you know, I I applaud Danny and, and my own husband, Rick, because I think that's the cool thing about, um, marriage is it's not, um, it's not, um, the person you marry. And as Stephanie Puglisi, my producer, said this on her wedding anniversary. I thought it was perfect. Y- you know, you get married and you marry that person in that day and in that time and that's who they are. But good marriages allow for that growth and they grow mm-hmm. and adapt with you. They don't expect you to be the person you were when you were 23 years old. And, you know, I was a very conventional mom, and my husband takes a lot of slack from his friends who are like, what is your wife doing? And and he says, she's going places and doing things. She's her own person. You know, she's she's my partner in life. She's not my possession. Like, there's nothing in him that wants to ever hold me back, you know. And, and, and I don't want to force him into my box either. He That's not his thing. And yeah. um, so when I see uh, people like Danny and uh, couples like you, I just think it's so great. And I agree with you that when you do get home, you know, that you have so much more to talk about and things never get boring around here because, you know, I don't know, you kind of appreciate the moments when you're home together because you're not going to be home together at some point. And mm-hmm. all the little things I treasure about home, I treasure more. The simple, yeah. silly things, playing Scrabble. We love to play Scrabble after dinner. And just sitting at our game table, my husband and I, with our honey tea and playing Scrabble, it's it's a treasured moment. Silly things. So. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I want to ask you, I think a lot of women, and younger women too, are looking at you, women who don't have the responsibilities that you had, you know, for so long. They're um, they're not married or they, they just are at a place in life where they still have options in front of them, which you don't have when you have two or three little kids, you know. Right. What advice would you have for someone who wants to get out there and they want to do what you're doing? They just they just want to be free. They just want to go where the wind blows them. What would you tell them? Just go. I mean, there are so many places. I generally travel more in the West than I do in the East because for me, it's easy to disperse camp there. But just pick a place. And even if you start and pick a place 
closer to home or whatever, you know, pick a place, figure out what you want to sleep in, because it's all going to change a little bit anyway, as you morph and grow. Oh, I'm more of a mountain person Mm -hmm. or I'm more of a beach person. I'm more of a tent camper. I'm more, I want a car camp, you know, all that sort of evolves as you grow, but just go. I mean, hiking, you don't have to be a hiker. You have to walk. That's all it is, is walking. And, um, and I don't want people to go out and take on these, you know, like want to climb Long's Peak if they can't walk six blocks. <laughs> but I think, you know, it use your common sense. But there's nothing that says now you're ready. I mean, now you're qualified or you're not. It's not time to go yet. If you want to go, go. You know, put a pillow in a sleeping bag in the back seat of your car or borrow a friend's tent and, and do it. And especially when you go by yourself, you know, some people are just even nervous about putting up a tent. We'll put it up in the backyard. Or if you take three hours to get it put up in campground the first time, oh, well, you do and you've learned something new. And the next time it's not going to take that long, you know, and, and just go. And, and there's a lot of times I think people are going to be nervous about maybe hiking a trail by themselves, you know, just get your feet on the ground, just Mm -hmm. start walking, take one step after the other and, and, and look up and look around and, and say what you're grateful for if you need to talk to yourself, but, um, just go. And with social media, there are so many groups out there that, um, if you need, you know, where ideas on where to disperse camp or where to hike or, or videos, what does this hike look like? Or what does this road look like that I might have to drive down? I mean, there is information out there, you know, um, but I would just say the biggest thing is just go. Don't wait for the right minute. There's a poll to, to get out and do something. Just do it. Vicki, I think you're amazing. <laughs> I'm so happy to have met your acquaintance and then become a friend of yours. And I enjoyed spending time with you in Texas so much. And I thoroughly enjoyed watching your adventures on um, Facebook all summer long. But please tell everybody about your blog so they can get online and follow you because you are doing incredible things. Yeah, it's actually a, a website. It's not even set up like a blog because it was kind of going before a lot of blogs. I mean, it's I think it's 11 years old, and um, I only started it because my friends were like, "We want send us pictures of your trips," and I'm like, "Well, it would be easier to just throw up a website than it would be to you know email all those photos out." So I started. Um, it's trip scribbles, T R I P S C R I B B L E S dot com. And it's just a kind of a diary of my travels. Um, I do have a little blog on there, but it's actually called in between, which is, uh, when I'm sort of stuck at home, the things I do then, but, um, the actual website is mainly it's full of pictures. Um, I'm a, you know, just a fun photographer, uh, don't know a lot about it, but I've taken thousands and thousands of photos over the years. So I have a lot of photos up there and information about places I go and some of the trips, uh, you know, all my trips I've done over the last 11 years. Um, so that's, it's just a fun place to go and read. Um, it sure is. Read about- and, 
travel. Yeah, and some people may see your pictures and go, you know what, this is the hike I want to go on. So that's what I loved about it. I I sat there with a pen going, okay, I want to go here, I want to go there, (laughs) and you've done the legwork for us. So thank you so much, Vicki. Thanks for coming on the show. I I hope you're coming to Texas this year again. I am. Both Jill and I have it on our radar. So Good. we, we can't, can't wait for that to open up and, and get our registrations in. That was so much fun. And it, it was. was so much fun meeting you and everybody there, the sisters on the fly. And, uh, well, I we are going to have, we're going to have a lineup of speakers this year. And I'm, I'm hoping to talk you into that. I'm hoping you can give an encouraging talk while you're there. And, it's just going to be a great event, and it. Um, I would love to do that, Janine. I I would love to do that because I get so much inspiration from, you know, I have friends that are on the road full time, and um, and and just other solo women travelers that I've met. Um, I get inspiration as well as good information and knowledge from them. So I'm happy to share, and I have really enjoyed all of your podcasts they just are so inclusive and so informative and it was so much fun meeting you and I'm, I really appreciate uh, you giving me this opportunity as well well I, I wouldn't have pa- let my audience pass on someone as good as you so thank you Vicki <laughs> and I will see you down the road yes thank you thanks Jane. for coming on Well, that's our show for today. I can't thank my guest, Vicki Hill, enough for coming on the show. I think Vicki is one courageous and inspiring woman. I can't wait to see her again in Waxahachie and hear the talk she gives there. I hope you'll join us down there, too. I'd also like to thank Liberty Outdoors for sponsoring our show. Liberty has a question for you. What are you waiting for? Now is the time to make your RV dream come true. Liberty Outdoors is a family of brands that evoke the American values of freedom and adventure. They manufacture the highest quality trailers, producing some of the most recognizable designs in the industry. Their products are proudly made in the USA with best-in-class workmanship and customer support. This allows you to pick up, get out, and get going with the confidence that only a superior product can provide. Liberty Outdoors wants you to experience the journey with the peace of mind you've earned. To take a look at the Max or the Mini trailer in their little guy brand, click on girlcamper.com and follow the link. Liberty Outdoors is building something for every stage of the RVer's life. Which one is for you? I'd also like to thank our other sponsors, Setzer's World of Camping in Huntington, West Virginia, Bankston Motorhomes in Alabama and Tennessee. Tom's Camperland in the greater Phoenix area, and General RV with 12 locations throughout the U.S. Campco Manufacturing, making things that make your RVing life even better. I'd also like to thank my producer, Stephanie Puglisi, for putting this show together. That's a wrap, everybody. I'm going to be back next week. Have a great week, everybody. Happy trails.